every December 1st, the whole world comes together to both support and solidarity the 39 million people that are living with HIV, but also to honor and remember the 40.4 million people who have died. Um, due to AIDS-related illnesses. And so it's just great to be here to talk with you about this. And, and, and yeah, the theme this year is Let Communities Lead. And, and the reason we have this theme and the reason we're, we've put out this report today, um, which is entitled Let Communities Lead, is because we know that the path to end AIDS has been trailblazed by communities. And countries that succeed are those that have communities that are leading the way. Um, so we want to use this World AIDS Day as a moment to both honor communities, but also to ask governments, ask organizations to fully respect and resource uh, communities because they are the path um, to end AIDS. Why do you feel like it's still important to remind the public that this is still a public health threat? Yeah, well, you know, we've made, the globe has made a lot of progress in the HIV response. Um, you know, AIDS deaths, for example, have declined by about 70% since they peaked in the early 2000s. There are countries that are getting to a point of um, ending AIDS as a public health threat by 2030. They're, they're beginning to achieve their targets early. This is a great success story, but the job isn't done. Every single minute, a life is lost to AIDS. Every week, 4,000 adolescent girls and young women are newly infected by HIV. Of the 39 million people that are living with HIV, over 9 million are still in need of life-saving treatment, which is out there, but they don't have it. So the job is not yet done. Um, we've got to double down to make sure that we still focus and finish what we started. Another thing the report talks about is the sort of connection between community and innovation. What are some of examples of this sort of connection between communities and innovation? Oh my gosh, there's there are countless examples. Communities, you know, and, and in, in the breadth of communities, we're talking about women's groups, people living with HIV, key populations, LGBTQI groups, youth focused groups, communities of faith. I mean, communities are broad, but but they have shown time and time again in country after country what what is possible and what innovation looks like. In Namibia, for example, we have we've seen youth um, youth communities come together using e-bikes to deliver HIV services because kids can't get to the health clinics because they're in school. So they're using an innovative way to get services to young people. In China, we have seen um, communities innovate and create these apps on smartphones uh, to link people uh, to self-tests. So we've seen a fourfold increase in HIV self-testing in China because of this app that communities have put in place and infiltrated into the communities. We've seen in Nigeria community groups that are delivering and mobilizing HIV services where people live. 
um, we're seeing 64% increase of HIV treatment services because of the work that communities are doing. And the last example I'll give you, and there's so many more, is um, I think what's really iconic with what we've seen over the years between South Africa, Thailand, and Brazil, where it was the communities. It was communities that pushed and advocated and, you know, fought in the streets and in the courtrooms and with parliamentarians to make sure that life-saving ARVs, antiretrovirals, were not only accessible but affordable um, to all people that needed it. And because of the work of these really powerful, um, unrelenting communities in these countries, we have seen the price drop from $25,000 U.S. dollars per person at the beginning of, you know, of the HIV epidemic to $70 per person. Because of that price drop, um, access to medicines, access to life-saving medicines became, became um, possible for people in need. And that is the power of communities. There's an advocacy component that um, is absolutely critical that communities are, are doing as it relates to policy change. The work that they do, that communities do um, to hold governments to account is also very important, and that's part of the policy change. So what we see in the HIV response, and I gave you the example of the price drops, it, it is communities that, and it was communities, and it will be communities, that, um, that are not only advocating on the streets, but as I said, in the courtrooms, in with parliamentarians pushing lawmakers, pushing decision makers to make policy changes that address the people's needs. And it's everything. We've seen the advocacy, for example, in ensuring that um, people living with HIV have multiple months of um, ARVs at their disposal. Multi-month dispensing is what we call. You know, we've seen that advocacy that's come from communities pushing lawmakers and policymakers to actually implement these laws in country, these policies in country that make services more possible for uh, people living with HIV. And then it's the role of communities that we've also seen where they monitor policy implementation at the community level. So they're, they are part of the checks and balance to make sure that governments are doing what they say they're supposed to be doing. Um, and it all comes from, is this working for the people that need to be served? You know, so, so we see it, um, we see the, the influential uh, role that communities play in policy change, but also policy implementation um, at all levels. Talking about the people that need to be served, in terms of the LGBTQ plus community, how can we ensure they have access to health services? You know, it's really important that we make sure that key populations, LGBTQI plus populations, um, also adolescent girls and young women, also children, those left behind, we need to do everything that we can to make sure they have access to services. Um, 
And one of the most important things that we can do and we do with communities is to make sure that we are protecting the rights um, of of these populations. We have been very concerned about um, anti-human rights, anti-LGBTQ um, uh, policies and laws that have been moving, anti-gender laws and policies that have been moving. These not only, um, uh, you know, not only prohibit um, these populations from being reached, but they are basically degrading the work and the the access to services that these people have. So um, we have to make sure that services and any structural and policy barriers that prohibit people, LGBTQI people, from reaching these services, any of those policies or structural barriers that prohibit are erased. You know, we've got to do everything that we can to promote enabling environments for LGBT populations to access services. And one of the most important things, and we have, and we say in the report, is that community delivery of, um, and, and actual community members themselves, people living with HIV that are part of um, ensuring the services, implementing the services, um, providing the services is really key because um, who knows better than the communities themselves of what is needed and how to um, ensure that there's a stigma-free environment for people to receive services in. What are some ways in which the general public can support that movement? There are three things that we're encouraging the world to really focus in on. One is, and this is all about how do we enable and let communities lead. The first is communities are under-acknowledged. So we have to acknowledge community leaderships. We have to put communities in the center of the response. They have been showing us, and they've been leading by example, that they should be part of the design of programming. They should be part of the implementation of programming. They should be part of the monitoring of that programming. So acknowledging community leadership is the basic thing that needs to happen. Second, we need to resource communities. We need to push governments and institutional organizations to, and international organizations to actually resource and fund community organizations to do this work. They should not be volunteering their services. So we need to make sure that they're adequately resourced. And third, communities are under attack, so we need to protect their rights. Um, we need to continue to work as we've been with governments, with um, organizations around the world to push against anti-LGBTQ policies, against anti-human rights policies and laws, against anti-gender uh, laws and rights. So we need to protect the rights of these communities. So those are three things that I think um, are essential to enable communities to continue to lead.